Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. Today we have a real treat for you, Gary Shiner, who's a friend of the podcast and has been with us before, is back to talk to us today about some of the advancements in medications and also some of the devices that we use. Uh, If you're not familiar with Gary's work, he's an award-winning certified diabetes educator with a master's in exercise physiology, and he has been living with type 1 diabetes since 1985. He's dedicated his professional life to improving the lives of people with insulin-dependent diabetes. In 2014, he was named Diabetes Educator of the Year by the American Association of Diabetes Educators. He has a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology from Washington University in St. Louis and a Master's of Science in Exercise uh, Physiology from Benedictine University. He received his diabetes training with the world-renowned Jocelyn Diabetes Center. He serves on the faculty of children with diabetes, and he's an active volunteer for the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, Diabetes Sisters, and Setebe Diabetes Camps. He also serves on the clinical advisory boards for several diabetes device manufacturers and pharmaceutical companies. He has authored six books. The most famous one, I think, is Think Like a Pancreas, and there's several editions of that. He's also written many others, including You Can Control Diabetes, The Ultimate Guide to Accurate Carb Counting, Get Control of Your Blood Sugar, Until There's a Cure, Practical CGM, and Diabetes, How to Help. And he's also published dozens of articles related to diabetes education for consumer and trade magazines, as well as diabetes websites. He also speaks at local, national, and international conferences on a multitude of topics in diabetes care. He's certified to train in all modules of insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors, and hybrid closed loop systems. And he's personally used every system that is on the market. Like he and his staff in his clinic at Integrated Diabetes, try them all. He's a devoted husband and father of four, and he enjoys exercising, especially basketball, bicycling, running, and weightlifting, and cheering on his local Philadelphia sports teams. Please join us in welcoming Gary back to the show. Thank you so much for coming back to the show, Gary. It's really nice to have you back. Great to join you again, Pam. Thank you. And as I was saying, when I reached out, I thought since uh, recently there was the ATTD conference in Berlin, the Advanced Technologies and Treatment for Diabetes and Technologies Changing All the Time, I thought who better to have to share with us some of the upcoming technology or some things that are already out there that are very helpful and useful and also any any other new technology or treatments that we should be aware of. So thanks so much for joining us for this conversation. Oh, I love this topic. If there's one thing about living with diabetes that I don't mind, it's all the all the cool toys that they develop for us to use. That's cool. It has come a long way. I was thinking about that the other day when I was I guess because we were traveling and I was packing some stuff for Aaron and I thought, huh, well, we did this X number of years ago. You know, we didn't have some of the things that we have now and it it makes it a lot easier sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, we forget about, you know, what things were like 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Still got a a museum here in my office just to show folks the, the tools and Things oh, we have we'll have to, to do an episode about the history of the technology. Then maybe you can share some that, of those. That would be interesting. That would be that fun. That would be do. fun. Cool. So, so what are some of the latest things that are that are happening? Because oftentimes in our groups here, someone will post something they read about a cure or research or something that's coming out. And of course, so many people are in diabetes. They're often looking for that one thing. And there's never, not necessarily that one thing that's going to make it that much easier, but there are many helpful tools out there. What are some of your favorite new technologies that are up and coming right now? Well, I just uh, started using the uh, the Dexcom G7. 
And that's, it's a really nice system. Now, the sensor is smaller. Um, I'll get one in a moment to show you. And okay, if you grab the Dexcom G7. Uh, and if you're listening through better. YouTube, sorry to interrupt you. If you're listening in audio, go over to YouTube and then you'll see what Gary is going to be sharing with us. He's actually going to, to hold them up. Yeah. They made a, a lot of not major improvements in any specific thing, but a lot of small improvements that really add up. And my my favorite thing is the fact that the warm-up time has been reduced dramatically. Mm. You know, going two hours waiting for the system to warm up before you get any data at all, it's a, a little bit frustrating. It's a lot frustrating as a mom who for some reason we're always on that cycle where the CGM finishes at night and it's always like some night where I'm exhausted. I'll even, yeah, it, I hate the two hour warm up yeah. on, on CGMs. It's ridiculous. It's painful. You, you just feel kind of, I don't know, naked to your diabetes. Then you have no, <laughs> yeah. What's no going problem. on? Yeah. As though you have no idea what's happening. And we, we forget that we used to just do finger sticks four times a day. So we'd go an average of six hours between knowing anything about our glucose levels. Now we go two hours and we start to freak out a bit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's that's the new sensor. Wow. Very small, very flat. Uh, yeah, it's about the size of, of two nickels stacked up. Um, very compact. Uh, the inserter, my kids say it looks like uh, air hockey paddles. It does. Cool. And for those of you listening, so two nickels would be about the size of the, if you're in Dubai, the 50 fills to that, it, it, the nickel's a little bit thicker, uh, not quite the Durham. And we don't have a G7 here yet. And I think we're barely into G6 or don't have, because we're not Dexcom mm -hmm. users. I'm not following it as closely. Um, but I know we we don't have the G7. And I've only just seen a G7 on someone in Europe last week and i pointed it out to aaron i was like oh he's got it must be the g7 because it's it is quite small so yeah. much smaller yeah you do have to use a little bit of over tape because uh, the sensor adhesive patch uh it, it's not very large it's analogous to the libre uh, mm. it's just barely outside of the frame of the you know, the plastic part so they do give you an over tape and I, I do recommend using the over tape because for this to stay on for the full 10 days, you really need that extra tape yeah. over it. They give you a 12 hour grace period after the 10 days is up where it'll keep working. Last week, I had to drive up to New York City to do a talk. And on my way home, I'm in the car and my 10 days was up. I got my alert. It didn't just stop working. It keeps working for up to 12 hours. So it's, oh, it's nice. nice that you don't have to wake up at, you know, or in the morning and change it, or if you're out doing something, it'll keep working until you're home. Amazing. The accuracy is a little bit better. You know, they measure this in a term called MARD, mean absolute relative difference. The Dexcom G6 had a MARD of about 9%, which meant that on average, this the sensor values were within about 9% of the lab values taken at the same time. And it's down to 8% with the G7. So it's continuously improving. Uh, they made the alerts a bit more customizable. So there's less nuisance alarms and more actionable alerts. You know, that's an area where I feel like Dexcom really has a major advantage over the Libre is with the alert customization and the way to make the alerts functional and, and useful for managing better day in and day out, not just alarming for highs and lows. Mm. Can you give us an example of a, a different kind of alarm that it would give you? Well, it, it has a predictive alert. If it predicts you're going to hit, hit a significant low in 20 minutes, it'll alert you ahead of time. But some of the newer things, uh, like if your glucose is falling quickly, it can alert you, but you can now set a threshold. Say, all right, if it's falling quickly and I'm below a certain number, like 130, for example, then it'll alert. Because um, if you're dropping from a very high to a normal level, you don't need an alert. Mm -hmm. The same thing with a, a rapid rise. If you're rising fast and you're just coming up to normal, you don't need an alert. You can set a threshold for it. And even with the standard high alerts, 
you know from experience, your son's glucose tends to rise right after he eats and then settles back down again. You don't need an alarm every time that happens. But if he goes above a certain level, let's say 200 and stays there for a while, then you'd like an alert. And that, that's the, the way the new Dexcom G7 is set up. You can tell it, all right, if I'm above 200 for more than 90 minutes, yeah, tell me. It doesn't do it the moment that it, it breaks that threshold, though. Amazing. They built the, some of the clarity, which is the software that generates reports off Dexcom. They built some of those reports right into the main Dexcom app now. So when you wake up your Dexcom app, I'll just show you mine as an example. Uh, when you scroll down the screen, it gives you your, you know, your time in range or average for whatever time interval you want to look at. Um, so it, it's it kind of gamifies your blood sugars a little bit. You try to improve every week or set a goal and try to stay within That's that. really cool. I like that. I'm glad they did that because that, I think, kind of motivates people to try to keep it in and do more things. And then if it's a little more user-friendly and less alarming, and that was one of the things mm -hmm. that actually we had that discussion with um Aaron's doctor because he uses a different system and it alarms like all the time because there's only just high and low. And if you calibrate it, it's alarming. And he, she's like, how are you getting stuff done at school? Like let's hmm. you, and then you have to silence it. And then it's like silence all or nothing. It's not, it's, it, it's really nice that it's customizable like that. Yeah. There's a snooze feature in the, in the Dexcom where once you confirm it, it's not going to give you any more alerts for a certain period of time that you designate. So I, I set my my low snooze feature for an hour because we know with the CGMs, when you go low, it hangs there for a while. Mm -hmm. It doesn't pick up on the rise in blood sugar right away. So I, I don't want to keep getting alarms again and again and again because I'll just keep eating and eating and eating if that happens. I wind up much too high and much too big as a result. So you know, I, I tell it, all right, if I'm still low an hour from now, tell me, but I don't want to know between now and then. So cutting down on the nuisance alarms is, is a nice thing. Mm, nice. And do you see any outside of the usual suspects, Libre, Dexcom, Medtronic? Are there any other up and coming uh, CGMs or similar? Well, the only other one that's available now is the Eversense. Uh, mm. This is a company called Essentia that acquired the original manufacturer of that. And you know they have a six-month version of their implantable sensor on the market now, and they're working towards a, a one-year sensor. Wow. Uh, you know, it has certain advantages and certain disadvantages, but uh, ultimately, I feel that like if that system can integrate with our hybrid closed-loop technologies, then you've got something special because you have no warm-ups at all, no breaks. Well, I mean, when you first put it in, you do, but then you know, for a year, you have continuous glucose data. The accuracy of the implanted systems are also better than what we get with the uh, the sub-Q systems that we put on now and just tape to our skin. Um, they're also working on a uh, an implantable battery, so you don't even have to wear uh, a transmitter on the skin. It'll just transmit the signal uh, automatically from the device that's under the skin. So I think with some modifications and improvements that that could make some inroads. But otherwise, yeah, you're right. You know, Abbott's Libre and uh, Dexcom's G6, G7. You know, those those are the cutting edge devices. You know, Medtronic's been working on a new sensor for a while now. You know, we'll see when that comes out. You know, the one that's out now, it, it you know, it certainly integrates with their their pumps, uh, but you know, it, it leaves something to be desired from a, a quality and ease of use standpoint for most users. Hmm. Yeah. For those of you listening, Eversense, if you're listening from Dubai or GCC, Eversense is not available here anywhere in the GCC that I'm aware of. It's not available here in the UAE. Um, most people use Dexcom or here Libre has a better price point. Insurance doesn't cover them. Um, so a lot of people use Libre. Um, and it's quite helpful that you can share the data as well. A lot of people like that. I think share, mm -hmm. I think once the kind of share apps came out, those became more favorable. It's quite a competitive advantage that they have in doing that. The price difference is shrinking uh, because there's no transmitters required with the G7. Mm -hmm. That's an expense people don't have to incur anymore. And Dexcom is offering a, 
price of like, I don't know, it's 80 or $90 for a month's supply of, of G7 sensors for anybody with private insurance in case their private insurance is not yet covering it. So that in and of itself brings the price even lower than what uh, Libre is, is charging now. That's amazing. So Jofar, if you're listening, this is an amazing model because here the costs are a little higher than what they are in the US, um, makes it quite expensive. There's a lot of additional costs on on top of things and the way um, devices are distributed, it's a little different. It's not directly from Dexcom. There's a, always a third party. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think we'll get those prices here, but I love that as a model. That's great. And of course, all of this CGM, you know, it, it's incredibly valuable uh, in and of itself, but it's even more valuable to us when it's incorporated into a hybrid closed loop system, you know, an automated insulin delivery type of apparatus. Uh, I don't want to give people the wrong idea. You know, these systems only do a little bit of the diabetes management for us. The vast majority is still our responsibility. We still have to manage our, our food intake and bolusing for food. We have to make our own adjustments for physical activity, for hormone changes, things like that. All these automated systems can do is make subtle adjustments if we're rising or falling in a gradual way. They don't make sharp turns in our blood sugar. They make gradual adjustments to try to keep things in range more often, but they do. I mean, overall, people who use them spend more time within their healthy target range and have fewer extremes in terms of the highs and the lows. And that's with with doing even less work than we used to. So that combination of less work and better results is very nice. Yeah, it helps in the long run. So. There's, I, I once told someone because when, when I started Diapoint and a lot of people were asking, so where's your app? <laughs> and my response to that is sometimes people with diabetes are a little bit apt out. Um, there's a lot of apps and not just diabetes apps. There's carb counting apps. Every retail chain here has an app and everybody's got an app and and apps are great and they serve a purpose. And especially when they integrate with the technology, but for those that are not integrating with your CGMs, are there any really fantastic apps that we should be aware of to help us manage diabetes better? Hmm. Now, the ones that allow us to uh, self-adjust our insulin delivery, you know, the, the apps that are integrated into uh, such as the InPen. Uh, there's a, an app for people on injection therapy uh, that works with a, an insulin pen. It's called the InPen. Is this the one that Medtronic purchased? Yeah. In part, yeah. The, okay. The original company, Companion Medicals, they were acquired by Medtronic. Mm-hmm. So the, the pen itself is a it's a modular pen. It uses disposable insulin cartridges. Uh, and you can get the cartridges with Humalog, Novalog, even Fios for these. Hmm. Uh, it depends doses in half units. It's got a nice ball bearing mechanism. It's really well built. But the exciting thing about this is that it communicates with a smartphone app. So for people on injections, they can get a lot of the benefits of pump therapy without wearing a pump. When it's a meal time, they open the app, enter their carbs. The glucose from their CGM populates automatically in the calculation, or they can manually put in a finger stick value. The app calculates their mealtime dose with adjustment for insulin on board because it knows what was taken previously. So if I dial up and inject four units on this, it transmits a Bluetooth signal to the app and the app knows exactly what I got. So it can accurately calculate insulin on board and deduct it safely. And all of the bolus calculations are built into the app, just like they are in a pump. You have different formulas, different times of day, and that's all built in. So it takes a lot of the more complex math out of managing diabetes and serves as a nice record-keeping system as well. So I I do think that's an excellent uh, app for people who are on injection therapy. They use it with the pen. Yeah, I think that will be released I know, I know they're working on the release. I don't know the launch date. Um, only they would know that, but I believe that that will be coming to us soon. So that could be a wonderful option for people. And, you know, like everything else, we hope that it's 
it's affordable because that would be helpful and people can't easily find half dose pens here. Um, they're difficult to come by, even though we do sell them, they sell out very quickly. Hmm. Um, yeah, I yeah, was felt the, the companies that make the syringes and pens, they're, they're missing a, an opportunity. These things could measure insulin intensity unit easily. They just choose not to do it because they don't think they have a large enough volume of, of business for it. But people, I think, would pay a little extra to be able to do that. Uh, and it's needed. Anybody, you know, children, anybody really sensitive to insulin, anybody trying to manage effectively, being able to dose insulin in precise increments is a pretty important thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like sometimes that's one of the beautiful things I think about the tech technology and people being innovative and people with diabetes being innovative because you experience it, you know what's missing, you know how it could be better, you have that lived experience. And when some of the larger companies get complacent because they've had a market lead for a few years, then they're going to be left behind if they're not thinking outside the box or talking to people that are experiencing the the challenges. So that's a, that's a really good point. We're, our bodies are very sense, you know, sensitive to changes in those insulin doses. It seems that being able to at least dose in the right amount should be a, a priority. It reminds me of a, uh, the scene on the Simpsons. I love the show, the Simpsons, mm. where there was this Japanese chef preparing a blowfish. Apparently he said, you know, if prepared uh, incorrectly, it's deadly. If prepared properly, it can be very tasty. And I'm thinking, well, you know, insulin's like that. You what a great analogy. Too much or too little, it can kill you. You take the right amount, things can be great. So being able to deliver the right doses should take take a higher priority. That is my new favorite analogy, actually, for insulin. It's so true because, yeah, too much or too little and your end results can be really Medley. not good. Yeah. That's yeah. that's so true. And, yeah, even I can see as an adult how you would need that because now Aaron's older. If he's going to play sports, okay, he's on a pump, so I can give 50% of what would usually be required. But if you're injecting, that's that's impossible yeah. if you don't have a half unit and then and I don't know if you call it technology um this is a uh, an inhaler for insulin it's a, a product called a freza there are cartridges that drop into it the cartridges deliver different amounts based on the color and you simply inhale it uh, the insulin works twice as fast because the route of delivery through the lungs hits the bloodstream much much faster we inject insulin below the skin or pump below the skin. It sits there for quite a while. Mm -hmm. This stuff starts working in a couple of minutes. It, it peaks usually within half an hour and it clears the body in 90 minutes, two hours at the latest. So it, it essentially works twice as quickly as the insulin that we would inject. So for people who are having issues with post-meal blood sugar spikes, using this can almost eliminate that entirely. Uh, but the challenge some, for some people is the dosing increment. You can essentially dose in really two and a half unit increments uh, with these cartridges. People who are much more sensitive may struggle a bit to get you know, the dosing just right. Mm. Yeah, we don't have inhalable insulin here that I'm aware of yet either. Um, and someone I th did ask, is it is it safe for children? Someone had asked me that question, and I said, "Talk to your doctor, of course." But um, what I found on Google, it said adults not recommended for children. I guess because of the fast uh, action action. Well, not not necessarily that. They just haven't done the studies uh, mm -hmm. to verify its safety in young children. Adolescents use it quite a bit off label seems to work fine. They were worried originally about its effects on lung function. There's a very slight effect on overall lung function, but it's it's not even noticeable. So people have been using it for years. We haven't really seen issues develop with, with lungs. Amazing. Amazing. And the pen, I read that it works with a little bit of artificial intelligence. So I guess it would become quite customized to when you're using it. Is that correct? It doesn't adapt the dosing 
at all. Okay. Uh, you program in you know, your insulin to carb ratios, your correction factors, your targets, mm-hmm. and it uses that to calculate the dose. You can go okay. in and change it anytime, but it's not a, a learning algorithm. Now, some of the AID systems, uh, I wouldn't call them learning algorithms, but they adapt to the user's overall insulin usage. Uh, you know, Medtronic and the new Omnipod 5 will adapt a little bit if you start increasing or decreasing your overall insulin use utilization. Yeah, I find that they tend to be risk adverse to as far as the adaptation because they don't want to overdose, I guess, over adapt, which is fair. Yeah, they enough. are very conservative in that way. You know, preventing yeah. hypoglycemia is priority numbers one, two, and three. And Everything else falls by the wayside. Yeah, and we don't we don't use that pump, but for the one with the suspend before low, previous doctor, he's like, well, if you're comfortable with it, make the lower threshold lower because it's so risk adverse that it's really stopping too soon. Yeah. So that that was our experience. I don't know. Maybe other people don't have that experience. Well, we're seeing and, a lot more uptake here, uh, here and in Europe, of the the DIY type of systems like Loop. Mm-hmm. You know, these are um, basically algorithms that you can install on a smartphone, and it'll adjust the pump's insulin delivery using Bluetooth signals. It's very customizable. You know, the user can set it to be as aggressive or as conservative as they like. And every aspect of it is uh, is user managed, as opposed to something that's sort of dictated by the manufacturer. And there's these strict guardrails put in that you can't work around. So the the DI the DIY loop system is by far the most popular of those, and you have to have a, a little bit of tech expertise to build it and install it in your phone. But once that's done, it, it, it works like a dream. We we probably have three or 400 patients using DIY systems you know, in our practice. And we see better outcomes with it than with any other, any of the commercially available systems. And we do not see any increase in adverse events like severe lows or DKA using it. So that's it's a it's a good good system for those who are able to utilize it. Yeah, I've not personally met too many people using it, but the ones that do use it, they love it and they wouldn't trade it for anything. And and I can understand why. Um, but like you said, it takes a little bit of tech savvy, although the community is really supportive in in setting it up and and things like that. And then I think here getting those devices um it can be a little tricky if you're if you're living yeah. here. You need certain hardware um, to make it happen. You know, it, if you only have a, a PC, you can't do it. You have to build it on an i on an Apple device, mm. uh, and then you have to use an iPhone uh, with the Loop specifically. You got to use an iPhone as the controller uh, for it. And then, you know, as far as the pump goes, you can use Omnipod, either the Eros or the Omnipod Dash. The original Eros pods will work with it too. Uh, you can also use older model Medtronic pumps mm-hmm. going back to like mm-hmm. the 522, 722 and, and earlier. Those pumps uh, can receive the signal from the uh, uh, the app and, and for self-adjustment of the delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're able to access those things, and of course, you know, the Dexcom is the sensor that works with it, either the G6 or the G7. I, mean, I love how adaptable the software is because as soon as something new comes out, there's a team of people all over the place wow. that are writing the code. So, hey, you know, when when uh, Fios launched, they built and they adjusted in the algorithm and put an option in there for Fios. It took about amazing. a week. Oh, wow. When that's amazing. G7 became available. Hey, let's just update the code. Let's get the G7 integrated. It's not like the other companies that have to wait years to incorporate these improvements into their system with the the DIY community, make it happen like that. I love that. And I, I I was explaining to some, uh, some people in our last coffee morning about the whole DIY system and looping and how it started and the parents that started it. And it, it, it's just really, it's amazing. And, and it's really proof that change happens. Like a lot of the reason the devices changed and did what they do now is because people 
that we're actually living the experience we're driving and it didn't unfortunately it didn't come from within the big companies it came from people wanting it from the demand mm-hmm. from mostly parents of kids with yeah. type and they just happen to have some gnarly tech skills they were able to put into place yeah that type pool is another company i'm sure you're familiar with type pool has been yeah in the business many years as a nonprofit, just building great software for incorporating all, all kinds of diabetes data. Uh, and they've developed their own uh, algorithm that they call Tide Pool Loop. It's based on the Loop app, but they took it and, and submitted it to the to the US FDA so that it and, and received approval on the algorithm. So they're in process now of partnering up with various companies to eventually bring this to market. So at some point, users may have the option of using the the commercial company's algorithm or the tide pool loop in their oh. in their artificial pancreas system. That would be amazing. That was recent, if I remember reading correctly, right? Yeah, yeah just that the last was a, couple of months. Okay, yeah, that was really a big thing, and I was really happy to see that because I had always admired people that were doing that, and I looked into it, but it was it, it was a lot to take in. One year in diabetes diagnosis and then setting up that whole system. But that could be a new summer project for Aaron because he's quite <laughs> into tech savvy. I'll be like, hey, Aaron. You know what? Teenagers can do this thing. And he can probably do it in one night. He'll sit down and mm-hmm. I, and if he's he's the kind of kid that like all kids, if it's a subject that they're really interested in or they're up, they're interested in the challenge or curious about it, they'll do it they'll he'll he's he's like that so he's got the tenacity if he wants to do it but that could be super interesting just for fun mm-hmm. it'd be like hey project yeah cool so and we touched a little bit on ai and i don't know if you've seen anything because now it seems like the whole world is going crazy with worry about artificial intelligence because of chat gpt there's a gtp i always get the it you know mm-hmm. um the people are worried and and rightfully so, fair enough. But for people that are just kind of hearing about this, and but I think of it from a healthcare perspective, and especially from a diabetes perspective, and how much easier it can make life in decision making and for devices and things like that. Have you found anything or seen anything negative so far of the use of artificial intelligence in diabetes technology? I haven't. My opinion is that it's not, I don't think it has much chance for success in diabetes management. There are certain things we can learn from looking at data, but you can never just learn everything you need to know from looking at data. There's a person behind it. So when we're evaluating somebody's information now, we have to consider not just, you know, when you took your insulin and how much and how much carb you think you ate, there's so many other factors that go into it that AI doesn't consider. You know, everything that goes on in a person's life, all the act, physical activity or lack of activity that they get, all of the emotional turmoil that takes place, uh, wellness, stress, uh, it all has an effect. And then even things like the absorption of their insulin, which is still a major problem. And again, it's not exactly what we call technology, but a big push is on now to build better infusion sets for the pumps, extended wear sets. Now, Medtronic launched one last year. It's starting to gain traction. And I've tried it. Our clinicians here have all tried it. It does work much better than the traditional sets. Their approach had nothing to do with the cannula that goes in the skin. It was just making sure that the insulin is fully pure when it gets to your body. So a lot of the reactions we get under the skin is due to impurities that have entered the insulin. But you, know, you get better absorption of your insulin and a lot of the glucose variability just magically disappears. It's a wonderful thing. Tandem acquired a company recently uh, that's been working on an extended wear set as well. And their approach is the opposite of Medtronic. They're focusing on that cannula that's under the skin and making sure it doesn't cause irritation or buildups or blockages or kinks, uh, just making sure that the, ins- that the insulin is flowing the way it's supposed to and absorbing consistently. And you know, the studies they've done so far are fantastic. 
the absorption actually gets better the longer the set is in. It's amazing. You get to days seven, eight, nine, the insulin peaks sooner than it did at days one, two, and three. So it's wow, it that's amazing. Yeah. Because I've been wondering about that um, because I'm sure that is not here yet, but it will come. And then after with the current insertion sites, after three days and kind of the scarring and you know things and it's not being absorbed as well. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty exciting. And then the skin and everything else, the tissue is is okay after wearing an insertion site for so it, long. It seems to be fine with these uh, improvements that they've made in the sets. I like movie quotes. You know, Casablanca had a great quote. You know, round up the usual suspects. And whenever someone contacts mm-hmm. me, a patient says, "You know, my sugar's high. I can't explain it." The usual suspect number one is the site. Mm-hmm. The insulin absorption is probably not working the way it's supposed to. Nine out of 10 times, just changing that infusion site solves it. There's always other issues, but most of the time, that's that's what causes it. So working on ways of improving the absorption can make a big difference. Even you know, using the newer insulins like Fiosp and Lumjeff, these ultra rapid insulins, they work a, a little bit faster. You know, they, they do reduce the post-meal peaks a bit. But people report issues with the site absorption uh, and, and problems at the sites after using it for extended periods of time. So we've got to be on the lookout for these kind of things. Uh, it's just, there's, there's so many variables and there's so many subjective things that go into glucose management that I'm skeptical that you know AI is, is really ever going to be able to take over and manage glucose levels all that well. Yeah, I've experimented with it in a different context than diabetes. So one, I put, you know, like we create a lot of content and all our content is original and I enjoy writing. The people who work with me enjoy writing. So I put in some topics just to see what came out of kind of a chat bot and the way it was written, it was so, what's the word I'm looking for? Insulting to people with diabetes, that whole kind of shame and blame tone that you see on the internet all the time. That was the tone, which just really drives me crazy. And then the other thing I did uh, several months ago, I might even still have the pictures. If I do, I'll send it to you. I'll put it in the chat notes. But when I first got access before the chat GPT was released in a big deal, I said, let's see what happens when AI makes images, because people were putting these beautiful images out of nature or fashion or other things. And I'm like, "Mm, let's see. They were disaster. When you put in diabetes, like there was a glucose meter on someone's nose, like, and then it, for a finger checking, the hands weren't quite right. They had extra fingers or missing fingers. It mm-hmm. was a big train wreck. So I think AI has got a way to go to, to catch up with, yeah. with diabetes in, the, in that context. Takes, it still takes a human being uh, to evaluate something human like diabetes and and to be able to offer insight for improving the management. Uh, you can't just look at a set of graphs off of a CGM and, and know what's the what the issue is and what to do about it. There's there are things behind the scenes that have to be taken into account. You know, somebody may have had a week where, you know, you get these, you get the week from hell where just everything's going wrong. And if you adjust based on that, you're gonna have problems. Someone might have had a root canal the day their blood sugar spiked up. If you adjust based on that, you know, it's not gonna work. So I think it still takes a, a human with human sensitivities to look at this stuff and, and really know what to do. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. A doctor once made a comment to me that, you know, because of all the technology, would endocrinologists um, and educators become obsolete in the future? And I said, I don't think so. I think, I think so the, the human aspect is still really critical, plus the critical thinking that, you know, the, the bots aren't going to really do for us. So we've discussed a lot of new things that are coming out in terms of the devices and things like that. Is there something, and and maybe you can't answer this question if it's the big, like a, it's not business question, but is there something that really you feel right now is missing that no one is looking at that people need to look at outside of the bigger device companies and things that we talked about and what they're doing? You know, one, one hormone that I don't think is getting enough attention is glucagon. We all know of glucagon as that emergency you give if someone's having a severe low, you know, if they're having a seizure, that sort of thing. But glucagon 
is part of our body's day-to-day glucose regulation process. It's there to counteract when there's too much insulin present and the blood sugar's dropping. And I think we may need to start thinking more along those lines. Uh, there's a company uh, in the U.S. called Zeris Pharmaceutical, and they, they've developed some innovative glucagon tools for emergencies, but they've also developed something called a, a GVO kit. It's essentially glucagon in a liquid form in a little vial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's stable for two and a half years at room temperature. Wow. And this stuff can, I mean, it's not approved for microdosing, but it's like talking to me. It says, Gary, microdose me. I mean, it, it's really, it's built for that. It's really meant to be used in situations where we know our body needs some glucagon to bring the blood sugar up. So I think this is something that could expand into not only treatment of mild lows, but also prevention of hypoglycemia when we're in situations where it looks like we may wind up with a low. Now, exercise is a great example. There have been some studies done looking at use of small doses of glucagon to prevent lows during exercise, and it works really well. We've tested it. All of our clinical team has tested it. It works great. You can take a little bit of this before a workout, and the blood sugars don't drop. So I, I think we're going to see more in the use of glucagon as a treatment and management tool in diabetes. And then there are off-label medications. There are medications being used in the type 2 space, often for you know, not only glucose control, but also for weight loss, you know, such as uh, what are called GLP-1 receptor agonists. We see commercials for these, Ozempic, Trulicity, Victoza, things like that. Uh, These are medications that help people with type 1 diabetes in a number of ways because they slow digestion down and they blunt appetite. So in in that way, we have more stable glucose levels. And when we manage our food intake better, good things happen, not just from a weight standpoint, but from a blood lipid standpoint, blood pressure and glucose control. So there's, there's definitely a lot of advantages to using it. And there's evidence about them offering some advantages for people at high risk for heart disease as well. And another class of meds called SGLT2 inhibitors. These are oral meds that allow the kidneys to excrete sugar through the urine more easily. And they will lower blood sugar that way, but they also allow us to lose weight because we're spilling calories out through the urine as well. And there's evidence that these have some beneficial effects on kidney health and helping prevent serious kidney problems down the road. Mm-hmm. So I think we may see more use of these in the type one community at some point. The companies that make them have just not gone through the testing to, to get them approved for use in type one. But the, there have been small scale studies done that show safety. There are thousands upon thousands of people using them without a problem. They just have to be prescribed off-label because they're not Mm -hmm. indicated for use in type 1. Interesting. Is that, that's not the, um, one of the drugs that people are just using off-label for weight loss in the U.S. that there was the shortage of? That was Ozempic. That was Ozempic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's a GLP one receptor agonist. Okay. I always forget the name. And yeah, even that was getting attention here as well. And I'm sure I you don't necessarily need a prescription for everything here. A lot of things were over the counter. Um, yeah. like if you want if I want my insurance to pay for the insulin, then um, yeah, of course I need a prescription, but if I'm going to travel and I want to get some extra insulin, I can go in and, and purchase it. So yeah. that one, these people, are expensive I, drugs. I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what they cost here and here the cost of drugs is regulated. So like, for example, our insulin was cheaper, um, mm-hmm. while it was very high in the U S so it, that was always accessible. The devices and things, not so much. Um, but it was fairly affordable, except glucagon was always very expensive. And actually, mm-hmm. I even have a inhalable one. Oh, I have my virtual screen on, but I have one of Aaron's extra ones here. We just yeah. recently got Buximi a year, two years ago, and it's not that cheap. And the insulin company, I mean, the insurance company even 
at the last checkup because they expire quite quickly and then needing one for home and wanting one for school and insurance was raising eyebrows because they were like, oh, but you just got one like six months ago. And it was like, what if my child used it? Or do you know the expiration date? Like the expiration dates that we were getting were really short. So, mm-hmm. and it's it's expensive. Yeah, that's right. I like this. Uh, it's called the GVOC hypo pen. Yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a pretty simple thing. You never even see the needle that injects it. You just pull off the cap. Oh, and that's inject. nice. You just push it into the skin and it's done. So it's a very simple thing to administer. Unlike those old kits where you had a, it's like 33 steps to administer. Like a horse needle. I know. I had to do it like twice. And I remember the first time Aaron was only three or four. He had a stomach virus and he was going blue. And I'm like looking at it, reading, what do I do? How do I do this? Trying to remember because I, I thankfully I had the training. The mm. amount of people I meet here that are not trained and how to use it, or they don't even know that they need it. Even trained, you know, when you're under that type of stress, that that crisis state, it's difficult. It's it is, it is. Yeah, no, nothing can prepare you for the moment that your child exactly. is going blue in front of you. But yeah. at least having some general knowledge and going through the motions of doing it once or twice. You might remember it. You're not going to mess it up, but it's better than like not knowing. Like one, mm-hmm. I remember one parent once, you know, said this happened. Her child had a severe hypo, no glucagon, had no idea the need for it, had honey on hand and like rubbed that on his lips. Um, I think it was honey or sugar or something, but super scary, yeah. super like re- yeah, something that people need to be aware to of. I mean, people can easily choke and suffocate if you put stuff in their mouth when they're unconscious. Yeah, exactly. A few years ago, we did. Or or a pen of some, you know, the glucagivo pen. Yeah, most people try to get the Vexemi now because the the pen, they don't have that pen that you just showed us. And so we have the old style. It's quite intimidating. Or even for a while, I was just getting vials of it because there was a shortage of the other one. I don't know if it's because they were bringing the inhalable one or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but just so that the nurse's office at school could could have some extra ones because I'm preparing for the zombie apocalypse all the time. And I always have, I even like, I still have probably expired glucagon from years that I just can't throw out because like, what if it's useful or something? I don't know. It's good to practice, teach family members. Yeah, I do donate it to the school always at the beginning of every year. I give them one or two and I say, here, you can, you know, use this so you can teach people how to do it. Mm. Um, yeah, maybe I have to teach my husband how to do it. He should know as a doctor, trained as a doctor, but yeah, that that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even sure that I'm as confident using, I mean, if it's inhalable, the person can do it, but because we've never used it before, even that first time. Like I wouldn't feel confident. I would feel more confident with that big needle. If someone is seizing, if they're having a seizure, doing the nasal spray can be very, can be challenging. Mm. And I wouldn't do it on somebody who's conscious because I mean, the reports I've received is that it hurts. I mean, it really sprays it with a lot of force Uh. up into the nasal passages. Uh, I mean, in a crisis, you have to use something, but you know, that's why I, I prefer the pen if you're able to get it. Yeah, that does that nothing spraying really hard. That would be painful because there was some discussions with one doctor time out, like some kids were using it like as a mini dose if they didn't have any fast acting sugar on hand, but then it doesn't sound like it's a really good idea to use it that way. Yeah, there's no way to deliver less than the full amount in the one spray. Um, Okay. That's why we talk to you because we learn something new all the time, every minute. Mm. Excellent. Well, Gary, thank you so much for for joining me to shed some light on some of the new up-and-coming technologies that are out there for diabetes treatment, diabetes management. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, and please share share my email and contact info if anybody has questions. Or you know, we work with clients all over the world. You know, we do mostly virtual care with our patients, and and you know from experience, we, we really. We, Pay attention to details and customize everything for our, our clients. Yeah, for sure. We'll put your contact um, in the show notes so everyone can can find you and follow you. 
And I get your emails. They're great. I love the quizzes. So, you know, they, they send, um, Gary's team sends out a weekly it's weekly, right? Yeah. Weekly. Yeah. Weekly email. And there's fun quizzes and almost everyone that works with Gary has type one, um, or have, has a child with type one. So they're always experimenting on themselves, eating, eating different, eating foods and seeing how that, that goes. I love those. Those are, those are quite informative. We need to find some good like Middle East cuisine. Maybe you can su- ask your followers to suggest something for us to try out. Something. Okay, really you know what? I will do that. Let's do that because people often, it's Ramadan right now. So actually, as we're recording this, people are probably having iftar because the sun set a little while ago. And often in the group, people will come because there's not a real trusted source of how many carbs are in certain Arabic foods. It's really tricky. So let's find, why don't you and your team go for a Middle Eastern meal and, and I'll, I'll source, I'll source what you should order. And then let's, let's see. I think that could be fun. Yeah. yeah, Show our glucose results and the strategies we use. And sometimes they work, sometimes it ain't pretty. (laughs) No, I think, well, it'd be fun, but I think super informative because there it's, it's tricky. I mean, even we'll go out and eat and we're just, you know, eyeballing it for certain foods like that. Um, for a lot of foods we're we're eyeballing, like we were in Germany last week, there was a lot of potatoes and schnitzels and things like that. But, um, yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Okay. Uh, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'll send send you a menu. Send us your worst. That's a <laughs> okay. Answer. All right. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. It was wonderful to talk to you. Take Stay care here, and we'll Jenny. speak Good to you to soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. I just want to, again, thank Gary so much for joining us. I always appreciate his time. I know he's very busy. He's doing many things and supporting many people. And to have him with us is really special. And we're super grateful because he also knows so much about what's up and coming in the area of diabetes treatment. So thank you all again for listening. I really appreciate your support. If you enjoyed the show, please like or rate us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. That allows us to continue doing what we do and helps more people find the show. Also, if you're a small business or a large business or a brand looking to expand your reach and connect with potential customers, we are now taking sponsors. If you want to showcase the unique value and products that your business offers, then please reach out to us. We'd like to invite you to become a sponsor of Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. We are dedicated to providing an in-depth look into the topics of health, wellness, and diabetes. Our guests come from a variety of backgrounds. We interview experienced leaders in the industry, as well as people who are highly motivating and achieving amazing things. And as a sponsor of the podcast, your business will be featured in one or more episodes. This provides a great opportunity for exposure that will allow your business to stand out among competitors. We offer very competitive rates with packages to suit every budget. Our audience consists primarily of people who are interested in improving their health and wellness and are in search of valuable advice on how to achieve success. By sponsoring our show, you'll have the chance to target these very important people. If you would like further information or have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send us an email at info at diapointme, and we'll get back to you.